Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Hey, I want to thank, before I get started, I want to thank uh, Dave, Orlando, all of our singers, all of our worship uh, team. Um, they put a lot of work into what they do, and, and thanks. Uh, I really appreciated those songs this morning, especially. Every week, but this morning, I don't know. It, it, uh, it brought me to worship. And so, uh, for all of our singers and all of you who are singing, you know, we're the choir, right? So, uh, thanks for that. Welcome, those of you who are online, welcome, glad that you are with us. You've heard it a couple times already, but let me say, Happy Father's Day to all of our dads in here, to all of our dads watching online. Happy Father's Day today. I think it was uh, Steve Martin who I heard say that fathers are men who carry in their wallets pictures where they used to carry money. And uh, there's some truth to that. And, and I could go ahead and make the obligatory Father's Day joke right now, but I'm not going to do that. And I'll tell you why. Because being a dad is serious business. It is a serious thing. Us dads, we're, we're our... Son's first hero, we're our daughter's first love. And this world is in desperate need of men who have children to step up and be fathers. The kind of fathers that God has called us to be, to bring our children up in the teaching and the admonition of the Lord. To be present every day, in every way. To teach and to train and to lead and to love our, our children. And our children's moms. Because one day our, our, our children are going to follow our example, not our advice. So, happy Father's Day. Now, we've spent over a month talking about who might be the, uh, the best known, most famous father, earthly father of all time. And that's Abraham, the father of the faithful. I asked Orlando and the singers today to sing that song step by step right before I got up here this morning, because I want you to think about that phrase that comes up over and over again in that song, I will follow you all of my days. We, we sing that song often enough that we're familiar with the song, and we know that it repeats that phrase several times, step by step you'll lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. Today we're actually going to finish our series on Abraham. We're not going to finish his story. In fact, we really just haven't made a dent in his story. But we are going to wrap up the series this morning. And I want to wrap up the series by kind of looking at the end of the life of Abraham. We're going to fast forward to the end, this father of the faithful, and take a look at how Abraham finished his life. You know, Abraham's story is a story of someone who didn't put batteries in the <laughs> remote, maybe. There you go, thanks. Story of someone who was faithful to the end. Someone who finished strong. Abraham followed God all the days of his life. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter 23. We're going to be in chapters 23, 24, and 25 this morning. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you right up front that this lesson today is probably geared a little bit more towards those of us who are older. 
Now, it doesn't mean that I want the, the younger people to check out, but it, it's, it's probably going to be a little more applicable to those of us who are older. And I've told you several times before, if you're not sure if you're old or young, you're old. Okay, if you don't know. But, um, but this lesson is probably a little bit more geared to those of us who have lived a little bit longer, just because I think there are some things that maybe we'll be able to appreciate in this last chapter of Abraham as we say goodbye to him. We're going to kind of focus on Abraham as an old man today. And I am going to share with you the obligatory old person joke. I'm sorry, I couldn't help myself. But someone emailed this to me, and the subject line to the email was, if my body were a car. Maybe you've seen this before. If my body were a car, this is the time I would be thinking about trading it in for a newer model. I've got bumps and dents and scratches in my finish, and my paint job is getting a bit dull, but that's not the worst of it. My headlights are out of focus, and it's really hard to see things up close. My traction's not as graceful as it once was. I slip and slide and skid and bump into all kinds of things, even in best weather. My suspension is sagging a bit. It takes me hours to reach maximum speed. My fuel rate burns inefficiently, but here's the worst of all. Every time I sneeze, cough, or sputter, either my radiator leaks or my exhaust backfires. <laughs> so, don't blame me, blame the person who sent it to me. A wise man once said, getting old is not for sissies, and that is true. But of course, the alternative to growing old is dying young, so there's that, that as well. But um, this morning, uh, we're going to watch how Abraham navigated old age. And we're going to witness a man who finishes strong, a man who is faithful to the end. Now, we have talked through this series at length about the promise that God made to Abraham, that through Abraham's descendants, God was going to bless all nations of the earth. Uh, we've also looked at... Um, through Abraham's life, his entire life, he orients his, his life, his actions, his decisions, they're all oriented around that promise that God has made to him. Abraham had this finishing faith. He was able to be faithful to the end. And, and that's kind of a hard uh, concept for, for younger people to grasp sometimes. Because to finish strong, to have finishing faith, you've got to live through some things. You have to experience some trials. You've got to be um, kind of uh, uh, an expert at aging and struggles and also hardship and heartache. I want you to look at the first two verses of Genesis chapter 23. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kirith Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Several really interesting things uh, are shared in those two verses. First, we are told that Sarah was 127 years old when she died. Sarah is the only woman in all of Scripture whose age we are given when she dies. We don't know anybody, other woman's age at her death except for Sarah. Sarah was 127 years old when she died. That alone should tell you just how important Sarah is to the story of God. Also, this is the first time in Scripture we read anything about a funeral. 
In fact, the entire chapter is really Abraham negotiating a place to bury his wife Sarah. And the third thing about this, uh, the, these two verses is, and I mentioned this briefly last week, this is the first time in Scripture we see anyone cry. Abraham cries at the death of his wife Sarah. We're 23 chapters into the story of God. And this is the first time we read about anyone shedding tears. And it's Abraham who cries. He doesn't cry when Lot, is, when, when Lot goes away. He doesn't cry when he sends Ishmael away. He doesn't cry when he's told to sacrifice his son Isaac. But when Sarah dies, Abraham cries. Because being spiritual and being faithful doesn't mean that we're not emotional. Think about it. Abraham has loved this woman for over a hundred years. And yeah, death can take her from his arms, but it can't take Sarah from his heart. Being a person of faith doesn't make us emotionless. In fact, I think just the opposite. I think as our faith grows, our feeling grows. I think our emotions are heightened the closer we get to the heart of God. But Sarah's death wasn't just a time of mourning. It was also a time of testing. Let me share with you a fact and a reality that has taken me a little bit of time to really appreciate. Some of you will appreciate it more than I. But just because you live longer doesn't mean that life gets easier. Anybody want to amen that? Yeah. Those are all, uh, those are all mature people amening. Just because you live longer doesn't mean life gets easier. And I used to always think, life is going to be easier when I get to the next thing. You know, as soon as I get the job, as soon as I get the house, as soon as I get settled, life is going to be so much simpler. I would look at my parents and think, okay, they've got it all kind of figured out. Life is kind of easy for them. And then I became a parent, and it got harder. And then I used to look at my grandparents like, well, life is just so simple for my grandparents. Now I'm a grandparent. Life is not simple. Life gets tougher, I think, in a lot of ways. It's just a different set of circumstances, a different set of stresses, of, of difficulties and, and hurts. Walking by faith doesn't make your life easier, you know, just because you get older. Um, makes it better, not necessarily easier. But I want you to notice how Abraham models his, his finishing faith. Uh, he does a couple things. First, he ensures that Sarah is buried. He wants to make sure that Sarah, who, who I think was the love of his life, that, that she is buried and buried properly. Take a look at the next couple verses in Genesis chapter 23. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. Now, we're not going to read the whole chapter, but again, almost this whole chapter is a negotiation between Abraham and the Hittites for a plot of ground to bury his wife, Sarah. And scholars all agree, when Abraham made this deal, he got ripped off. First, the Hittites say, we well, can just have a piece of land, but they didn't mean that. That was just part of the negotiations. And then they come back with a price of 400 shekels of silver which Hebrew scholars say there's no way that that land would have been worth 400 shekels of silver. Taking advantage of people in their grief, that, that's nothing new to our generation, right? But I want you to skip down to verse 16. 
Abraham agreed to Ephraim's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field were deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterward, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah near Mamre, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Okay, why read that? Why should we care about that? What is the significance of that information? Why is this important? I'll tell you why this is important. Because the way we grieve says a lot about, the what, a lot about what we believe. How we handle grief is a tremendous testimony to what we believe and who we believe in. Now, I'm sure that most all of you in here have attended a lot of funerals. I have attended a lot of funerals. I have preached a lot of funerals. I have sat with families who are grieving at the loss of a loved one. And it, it, it's always, there's always sadness. There's always hurt. There's always heartache. I mean, when we're separated from someone we love, it, it hurts. And the deeper the love, usually the deeper the hurt. But watching people of faith grieve is very different than watching someone grieve who doesn't walk with God. Because yes, the hurt is there, the hurt is real. The separation is painful, but there's hope. And there's an eye on the promise that this isn't an end, that we'll meet again. And so there's a, a, the, the possibility of finding some peace in all of that. And I've sat with people who don't have that knowledge, don't have that faith, don't know that peace. I'm telling you, the way we grieve says a lot about what we believe. Uh, the way that Abraham grieved said a lot about what he believed. People noticed how he responded. I want you to look at how Abraham describes himself to the Hittites. And when he says this, by the way, he's been in the land a long time. He tells them, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. Abraham had been living in Canaan a long, long time at this point. And yet he says, I am an alien and a stranger among you. And in a lot of ways he was. He had not adopted their dress. He had not adopted their culture. He certainly didn't adopt their gods or their religion. All his life he lived in that land pretty much like he was just passing through. Like it wasn't his home. Why? Why would Abraham make that statement? Well... The writer in Hebrew tells us why he made that statement. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. All these people, talking about all the people in chapter 11, um, they're giants of faith. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. Interesting, the Hebrew writer uses the same phrase that Abraham used. You know why? 
Because he's quoting Abraham. Abraham said that. They all admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things, like Abraham, show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they'd been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they're longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. Over in the New Testament, we get some commentary on why Abraham said what he said, what Abraham was thinking, what Abraham was feeling, what he believed. And Abraham tells the Hittites, I am an alien and a stranger among you. And it is a not-so-subtle reference to where Abraham believed his true citizenship was. You know, you think about it. All through uh, Abraham's adult life, God has talked about the promise. And he's talked about the promised land. The only piece of the promised land that Abraham actually owned was a burial plot. That's the only ground he actually owned in Canaan, was a burial plot. We ought to remind ourselves of that, because no matter what you own right now, someday the only thing you're going to own is a burial plot. There's no trailer hitches on hearse. We we all are going to end up uh, in a burial plot one day. We're aliens and strangers in this land. Longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Abraham understood death doesn't bury the promises of God. And he's mindful of the promise when he buries his wife Sarah. He's also mindful of the promise when he marries his son Isaac. Sarah's dying had a profound impact on Isaac. Isaac mourns the death of his mother. But again, Abraham is going to see this problem through the lens of the promise. Abraham knows Isaac doesn't need another mother. What Isaac needs is a wife. Look at the first couple verses of of chapter 24. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living. But you will go to my country and my relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, What if a woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. Now, I want you to think about something before we keep reading in this passage. Remember, this whole promise to Abraham rested on the fact that he and Sarah were going to have a child. And it took a while, but he and Sarah have a child, and they name him Isaac. But, of course, the promise is all nations in the earth are going to be blessed through you, Abraham. So, Isaac has to have children as well. And at this point in the narrative, Isaac's not a kid anymore. In fact, he's at least 40 years old, and he's not married yet. Isaac needs a wife. And so Abraham tells his trusted servant, you make sure that my son Isaac does not marry a girl from Canaan. And don't you dare take him back to my country either. 
So the servant says, okay, um, I'm not sure I can pull this off. You want me to go back where you were from and somehow convince a woman to come to a place she's never heard of, marry a man that she's never met. You know, what if I can't do it? I might not be able to do that. I want you to listen to Abraham's faith in in verse 7. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on earth, saying, To your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. Do you see Abraham's complete confidence in God? You know, Abraham's not showing confidence in the servant. Oh, you can do it. You're really good at talking people into things. He doesn't show confidence in himself. Well, tell him it's Abraham's son. He doesn't show confidence in Isaac. Tell him what a great guy it is. Where is Abraham's confidence? God is going to send an angel to hook these two up. Don't worry. I am so convinced that God will not break his promise that if it takes an angel being a matchmaker to make it happen, God is going to send an angel to be a matchmaker. And for the record, when I think about my life, and when I think about my wife, and maybe when you think about your life, and maybe when you think about your life, I am convinced that maybe God still provides divine intervention when us men are looking for wives. Thank you. One guy says amen. (laughs) At least it wasn't your wife. Let me try that again. God still provides divine intervention when us men are looking for a wife. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to help you out here, guys. Go on. Listen, in all seriousness, Abraham knew that God was going to do whatever had to be done for that promise to be kept. Even in his last days, Abraham had completely bought in. He had completely sold out that God was going to keep his word, that God was going to come through. And then look at verse 67. Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted, comforted after his mother's death. Everything that Abraham does, even in his old age, is with an eye on the promise. It was with an eye on the promise that he buried his wife, Sarah, It's with an eye on the promise that he ensured that his son Isaac was married. And then finally, I want you to notice how Abraham continues to live and continues to love. Abraham doesn't stop living in his old age. uh, Chapter 25 can kind of give us the end of his story. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuah. Jokshan was the father of Sheba and Dedan. The descendants of Dedan were the Asherites, the Ledeshites, and the Lamites. The sons of Midian were Ephar, Ephor, Hanak, Abida, and Elda. All these were descendants of Keturah. Abraham had another wife. Abraham had more sons. But notice verse 5. Abraham left everything he owned to Isaac. But while he was still living, he gave gifts to the sons of his concubines and sent them away from his son Isaac 
to the land of the east. I don't know if it bothers you that Abraham married again after Sarah or not. I don't know if that's troublesome to you. But for sure we know that this second wife didn't replace Sarah in Abraham's heart. He loved her, but he didn't replace Sarah. When Abraham dies, he's going to be buried next to Sarah. But Abraham's second marriage shows he had no intention to stop living. And he had no intention of stopping loving either. No, life went on. Abraham had six more sons. But you notice he, he left everything he had to Isaac. And he also sent those other sons away to live to the east. He wanted to make sure that the son of promise was the one living in the land of promise. And to the very end, Abraham lived with an eye on the promise of God. And I will tell you from personal experience and from observation, there is something very, very encouraging and very convicting about seeing someone who walks with God all the days of his life, all the days of her life. I've known older brothers and sisters of mine in Christ and I've always admired their walk with God. And then in their old age, it seemed like I saw them become cynical or judgmental or, or, or almost cold and hard. And then I've seen other people that have admired their walk with God. And as they approach, you know, that, that uh, the elderly status, as they're getting closer and closer to their reward, it seems like their faith just gets stronger and deeper. And all those fruits of the Spirit that grow within us, Love and joy and gentleness and patience. It's just like, wow. There it is. And it's so encouraging to see older men and women and say, they're doing it. And then to see it can be done. Because it has been done. And we can all think of uh, friends, family, and loved ones who, who proved that point. Abraham had the faith to finish strong. And we want to finish strong like Abraham. We want to finish with an eye on the promise, faithful to the end. But for Abraham, the finish wasn't exactly the end of his life. In all of his life, Abraham was a pilgrim. If you're on a pilgrimage, what's the end? If you're on a pilgrimage, the end isn't death. If you're on a pilgrimage, the end is home. Now when we're pilgrims, where we're trying to get to is home. So notice how scripture describes the very end of Abraham's pilgrimage. Altogether, Abraham lived 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last and died at a good old age as an old man and full of years. And he was gathered to his people. Isn't that an interesting way to describe the end? Abraham was gathered to his people. What does that phrase mean? He was gathered to his people. I don't think it means he was gathered with everybody else in the graveyard. I think it means he was gathered to those others who had finished strong. And I say that because what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is having a conversation with the Sadducees and they're arguing about the resurrection of the dead. And Jesus says, but about the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, 
the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. The end is not death. The end is what what we know of as the end. It's really life. It's a banquet. It's home. Abraham finished strong. He never took his eyes off the promise. He never doubted that God was going to do what God said He was going to do. And you don't need me to tell you what God promised us that He would do if we remain faithful. Step by step, He would lead us. And our challenge is to be faithful all of our days, to focus on the promise, to finish strong. Because for those of us who are older, there are younger people watching us. And they're going to pay a lot more attention to our example than they are advice. Lots of things to learn, lots of encouragement to be learned from the life of Abraham. As we've got a song that we're going to use as a song of uh, encouragement this morning. Uh, those of you online, there will be a uh, slide with a place where you can access uh, our, our website and some ways for you to ask for prayers or for help in any way. And for those of us in the auditorium this morning, if there's something going on in your life that you just need the prayers of people who love you, uh, there'll be some people at the front of the auditorium. We'd love to pray with you, talk with you, anything we can do to, to assist. You can meet us there in the, uh, here in the front of the, the stage. Let's go ahead and be standing uh, while we sing.